Well, good morning. Wasn't that awesome? That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I am so excited for them. It's, uh, it's going to be a great trip. Well, um, so we're in this series, as you heard, um, called The Kingdom. And we're looking at these places where Jesus uh, talked about uh, the kingdom of God, or sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven. And if you missed this last week, go back, catch uh, the message. But when you think of the kingdom of heaven, we talked about this last week, don't think about like uh, castles and knights and that sort of thing. Um, uh, what it's referencing when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is what life and relationship is like uh, when you're relating with God, like, and you think about a family, every family kind of has a tone or a certain dynamic, and you could put a description of what that vibe or that tone is to a family. And what Jesus is trying to do with this is help us understand what, what's that vibe, what's that tone, what is it like to be in life and relationship with God? And so that's uh, what we're looking at here. And um, this morning, uh, we're going to look at two really short parables, but they do something really powerful uh, that help us to navigate um, moments when maybe we're struggling to, to find something that is life-giving when, when we're trying to engage and, do, and be a part of that, that sense of having life in relationship with God. And so to set this up, uh, I want to share a story with you. Um, it is, uh, this happened like way back in my childhood. Uh, so there's this time I was uh, by myself, my parents uh, were gone, um, and I had my pellet gun. And so you already know this is going to go to a bad place. Glenn is a little kid alone with a pellet gun, right? And so, just, yeah. Um, so, uh, I, and I don't even remember what I was frustrated over. I don't remember if it's like, you know, my mom and dad are gone and I'm stuck at home or whatever. But I was like in a frustrated mood, kind of a bad mood. And there I am with a pellet gun. I'm all, home, uh, all alone at home. <clears throat> and um, have you ever seen where like uh, someone had taken like a BB gun or a pellet gun and shot it through like a window or glass. Yeah, I know. It's, we're going there. Don't worry. Um, and it puts like a little pinhole in it and there's like a cone on the other side. Well, I had seen that as a kid. And some of you ever do this? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I thought, well, you know, I just think you know, I was kind of in a rebellious mood. That, and again, I don't remember what the issue was over or whatever. I just thought, I'm just going to take my pellet gun and I'm just going to shoot a little hole right through the, the sliding glass door on the back of our house, you know, from the kitchen out to the backyard. And we had this great big, huge sliding glass door. And, you know, my mom and dad, they probably won't even notice. I'll shoot it up in the corner, just like put a hole through there. So I do, but it didn't put a little bitty hole in it. It was like safety glass or something. It shattered the entire sliding glass door and the little bitty squares and glass just kept falling and covering the inside of the kitchen and out onto the porch. And it's just like, Oh, they're going to notice that. Oh, yeah, right? Like, this is a bad moment, right? Like, like what? They're going to, and they're getting ready to show up soon. It's just like, like, how do I deal with it? What am I going to say? And like, and, and like, you know, like, the, the, like the, the thing that is so helpful in a moment like this is a good lie, <laughs> right? Yeah, so my mom and dad show up, and I'm standing there with a pellet gun in my hand, and the back window blown out. And I'm just like, uh, 
So I came around the corner and there's like an intruder coming through our yard. And so I scared him off as I shot my belly gun through the glass and they took off, right? And, and, it like, and so then in that moment, it's just like, oh my gosh, you're okay. Yeah, I'm fine. But I scared him off. And, it's just, and all of a sudden, and what unfolds at this point, right? Because I just couldn't think far enough ahead on all of this stuff. It's like the, 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 like the perfect anatomy of a sin, right? It's just like, it could be a, a study case in a seminary class about, just how sin, like, just so, so like, you know, there, I've got to answer all these questions, you know, and they start asking questions. It wasn't, my statement wasn't enough. I've got to answer all these questions and I'm trying to think of all this stuff. And so, you know, I'm telling one lie on top of another one. And so, you know, and then it's like, okay, got to do that, right? Of course, you know, we've been talking about intruders and shooting out the back, back door. It's like, now the sheriff's deputy shows up on this thing. And it's like, oh, I didn't count on that. So now I'm making a statement to a sheriff's deputy right, in this thing. And then, of course, people in the neighborhood, you know, the neighborhood watch whatever, you know, finds out about this. And now I'm, and people at school know this. And, my, and, just, and it just keeps growing into this thing and I just hate it and it's just like and so it's like more lies and more hiding and faking it and all of this and it just like gets bigger and bigger and bigger and this went on for a long time right and this was my little secret and I didn't want anyone to know but it never just stays there it just kept becoming this thing, right? And the more it became a thing, the more I hated, the more it just, it felt like I was carrying the weight of, you know, 10,000 sliding glass doors on my shoulders for, you know, what I was doing. You know, on the outside, I'm like, you know, uh, perky or whatever. On the end, if you could see my soul, I was like the hunchback of Notre Dame. It's just like, no, I, you know? And, um, and kind of like, it just felt the guilt over it and keeping it up. And I just like, oh, I hated it. Um, and then of course, you know, I'd go to church or something and the, you know, the sermon would be on lying or something. I'm just like, oh, I want to hide. One time, and this went on for at least a, a couple of years, maybe uh, longer, that I held this secret. And um, uh, we went over to the pastor's house of, it was of this church. I was a little kid. In fact, some of you may know Roger Barrier, who was a senior pastor before me when I was a little kid. Uh, my parents, for some reason, went over to his house and there were a bunch of other like families or something over there. And, um, and I remember at one point, there was kind of like this time where people are just, just fellowshipping and just, you know, talking and stuff. And there was a police detective, like apparently they went to our church, yes. And, and he started talking about this new tool that they had. This is how long ago this was. He goes, it's called a polygraph machine or something. And they're like, oh, what's that? And just, and they're like, oh, it can, you hook somebody up to this thing and you can tell when they're lying. And I'm like, oh, that's awful. Whoa, that's terrible. Like, you know, and I'm just wanting to hide in this and everyone just starts peppering with questions. Well, how does it work? What does it do? And in my little mind as a little kid, I'm just going, oh no, this, like, like I know what's going to happen next. He's going to go say, hey, it's in the trunk of my car. Why don't I bring it out here? And for kicks, let's start hooking it up to one another and you can see how it works. And I'm like, oh no, like I'm going to be found out. He's going to be like, hey, you kid hiding in the back, come here. We'll start with you. Right. And it's just, I hated this. I cannot tell you how bad I hated this. I get the, just the guilt and the shame and the secret and everything. One day, right? And I, and I don't know how many years it was. One day uh, I was driving, or not, I wasn't driving. My dad was driving down the road in his truck. I was with him. It was down Silver Bell Road. I still remember this. We were driving down Silver Bell Road. I was just with my dad. And I reached a point where I could not take this anymore. 
Ever been at a point where like you did something stupid, you made a bad choice, something really regretful? Maybe it was a lie. Maybe, maybe you got caught in the same thing with me where it's just like you made, you know, now you're coming up with excuses and then lies and what, and just, and it just turns into that thing you hate, right? Like, and it just becomes that weighty thing. Yeah, we all know what that's like. We've all had moments like this, right? Remember what it was like and you just would just be, I'd do anything to get rid of this. Right? And I was so committed to keeping it a secret, so committed to like, I just, because my worst fear was like, if this gets found out, like, uh, like, what would that mean? But I reached the point where like, I can't take anymore. Driving down Silver Bell Road, I, you know, I, because, I, you know, when you're with your dad in the truck, you can do all kinds of things if you don't have to look each other in the eye. And you're just trying to, and I was like, Dad, you know that thing where way back when, when I, Shot out the sliding glass door, and he said, yeah. He goes, so I lied about that. I mean, I just confessed in that moment. I just told him, I lied about it. There was no intruder, and I shot it out, and I just, just, and, um, and in that discussion, he forgave me. Like, he forgave me, and I remember it was like the weight of the world came off of my shoulders. Like, it was, it was glorious. It was just like, like I felt like I could breathe again, right? This wonderful thing. And I think about that moment, right, of, of just what it was like to, just to be forgiven, to not carry the weight but feel forgiven. It, it, it makes me think of like there are all these descriptions in the New Testament that talk about being saved, right? And, and it talks about it in this way. Like uh, there's, a, there's a passage in uh, Romans where it talks about for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And I would have been, yes, I am short of the glory of God. Like it's just, <laughs> right? And then, in fact, I, I want to read just the next verse in this uh, uh, passage. Uh, what, and the author is a guy by the name of Paul, and he says this. Uh, after the whole idea of just like all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all carry this thing, right? He says this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, right? That's good news. And I think about the, the, that thing that I went through with my dad that like, it, it's, it's like some sort of spiritual metaphor for what we experience at times, maybe even in a greater way, spiritually or with God in some way. And there's, right, there's this part of it that is so glorious. And it is this, you could call it this, you could think of it in this way. It, it is the idea of being saved from something, right? That day in the pickup truck, like I was saved, metaphorically, I was saved from the weight and the shame and just like what I had done wrong because my dad forgave me in that moment, right? It's this beautiful, glorious moment. And you see this imagery all throughout the New Testament when it talks about this. So it talks about um, like the lost. The lost are saved from being lost and the lost are found. Or someone who's thirsty, dying of thirst is imagery that is used sometimes. And it's the idea that they're saved from that thirst and their thirst is quenched. Or the condemned are forgiven or uh, slaves are freed, right? And it's all this language that captures this idea that, that, that there's something that weighs us down. There's something that like has a hold of us and we're freed from it. And I bring that up because, uh, right, like we'd all understand that 
either at a personal level or conceptually, if you're a follower of Christ, like you understand what I mean, like the whole idea of, of like this idea of becoming a follower of Christ and he forgives us of, of, of our sin, like, like also we're in this new place. But I bring all of that up because something interesting happened to me with uh, telling my dad about all this, right? And it, it occurred in the days and weeks that followed, right? It started with all of this weight being off my shoulders. But it's like as fast as, you know, the, the, those 10,000 sliding glass doors came off my shoulders, it's like these storm clouds gathered over the top of me and, and I was like under this weird kind of shadow. Because, you know, like now it's like now people are finding out. People know the truth of this, right? Like now, now I've got to, you know, tell people or people are finding out in all of this. And, and, it's, and part of it maybe it was like embarrassing a little bit, but not really, but sort of. But in it, and maybe the best way to describe it was, I still knew the truth about me. And even though it was out, and even though I was forgiven for it, when I looked in the mirror, I still saw the kid that acted out. I still saw the liar. I still saw the hider. I still, like, like I still saw the truth of what I did in all of that. And I think there was even a part of me that just felt like, and like, others see that. My dad sees that. And he's forgiven me. But somehow, it's like I was, uh, like my dad forgave me, saved me from something but I was still left in this place. And as the days went by, it's like I couldn't help but see myself in that same way. And my question would be, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you look in the mirror, what's the thing that you go, oh, I'm that person. Like maybe part of the way I saw myself after that, it was like, I'm that kid, right? All the stuff that I kept hidden and like uh, the cool stuff and that, you know, I chased off and it like, that's gone. And I'm that kid that didn't do any of that, that, that made up a bunch of stuff, right? And that started to just leave this kind of residue that just stayed with me. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, we experience it and, and I see this so often in churches and with Christians. Like, it's like, the, like there's a thing where we look at that passage like I just read and just say, man, there's this beautiful thing. I'm saved. Jesus, like I'm saved from sin and death. I'm saved from that thing. Jesus rescued me. But I'm, I, when I look in the mirror, I still see that. And, and if you notice what happens when we do that, we try and make up for it. It's just like, okay, like I just, like, man, I'm gonna get control of that sin. Or, or we think of ourselves as less than. We come, it's like we start getting obsessed with that idea of what we were saved from in a weird way. Ever find yourself thinking tons about like, oh, I'm, I'm always being tempted by this and I gotta get a control of this and I, I'm, I'm this kind of, and it's like it comes to dominate our life in some way. And, and here's what I want to say. Here, here's where I'm going this morning with this, is this. Without embracing what you're saved to, you will be defined by what you're saved from. Let me say that again. 
without embracing what you're saved to, you will end up being defined by what you're saved from. That's kind of what was happening to me. I mean, like, in a weird way, my dad forgave me and saved me from, like, he didn't make me pay for the new sliding glass door. I didn't have to, like, it just, but I couldn't get past it. And it started to define me in a certain way in this. Let, let me illustrate it in, in this way. Um, true story, uh, and some of you might remember this, but way back in 1972 uh, in Northern California, there, there was a young boy by the name of uh, Stephen uh, 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 Strayer, I believe it was his name, seven years old, and he gets kidnapped, disappears. And I, like in the family is just wrecked by it. They try and find it, nothing, no trace of anything. And then seven years later, right, and by seven years, everyone's given up hope, right? Seven years, like every, every hour that goes by, every day, every month, every year that goes by, the chances of a kid being found and safe or rescued just go down. Seven years later, there's a 911 call and suddenly police show up and they end up saving this boy. Stephen is saved. He is rescued. I mean, it makes national news. He was on talk shows. He was on morning shows. The family was. They've got pictures of him. And he's like, you know, the, the mayor of the city they were from are there. And there's law enforcement. And it's just celebrations. And it just went on and on and on. It was amazing. And it was glorious. Imagine a family lost their son for seven years, Right? And now he's 14 and he shows back up and they have their son again. He was lost, and, but now he is found. He is rescued. It was beautiful. But what people didn't understand that was happening, and a lot of what was happening by this, behind the scenes within this family, is they started to be defined by this, right? They, everyone just had in their mind you know, this poor little Stephen, you know, was kidnapped and now he's saved, you know, and, and that's who he became. He, he's trying to get back into school, but he was poor little Stephen who was kidnapped and is now saved. And, and no one could hardly see him past being a victim. And the family themselves couldn't see past themselves as being the victim, but, but were rescued. And that's wonderful. And it's glorious. But the family was becoming exhausted by it. The parents didn't know what to do with it. Stephen himself, he hated the fame uh, th that it was garnering because every place he went, he was the poor little kid that was kidnapped but is saved. And, right, and that's all anybody wanted to talk to him about. He had an older brother who resented the fame that his brother was getting it because he, right, he's being pushed to the peripheral. And it's just like, like who am I? It's just like, it's just, he like, and slowly over the years, the family just disintegrates. And it's this sad story. Stephen himself, seven years after being rescued, dies tragically. They have an uncle that uh, dies in a, under strange circumstances. The older brother that, that struggled over the disdain of all of this ends up being arrested for murder uh, about eight years after his brother Stephen dies. And you're just like, what happened? But in a weird way, they never got past being the victim that was rescued. It's, it's, it, it became their identity. And I share this story because sometimes what can happen to us is, is we can get locked in this thing where it's like, oh my gosh, 
Jesus saved me, like saved me from sin and death. And it's just, it's this wonderful thing. But if we never get past what we were saved from, we get defined by it. If we, if, if we can't understand what we're being saved to, that there's something more than just not being a victim, not being condemned, then, then something weird happens in our spiritual journey. And, and I guess what I'd say is, I, I'd look at this and ask the question, like, how do we get past that? How do we not let that happen? Because probably that happens way too often. It, it's what happens when you see churches or Christians and we become obsessed with all things around sin to the point that it becomes the secret of our lives and it just becomes the only thing that we worry. And there's this whole other spiritual aspect of being a follower of Christ that just gets diminished in there. Does that make sense? So how do we get past that? Well, you know, Jesus shares these two little parables about the kingdom of God. And think about the kingdom of God. He's saying, this is what life and relationship with God is like. This, I want you to understand how this works. And he tells these two little parables that I think can be so helpful when we find ourselves looking in the mirror and all we see is a sad little sinner that's saved. Because if that's what you see in the mirror, you're missing what life and relationship with God is meant to be about in this. So let me, let me I'm going to read both of these uh, uh, little parables uh, here. And then um, I want to unpack them uh, here. Let me... <clears throat> Let me read them. Uh, and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, the first parable is just one verse, verse 44. And then we'll look at the next one. It's in the next two verses after that. Here it is. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like, right? And that's that key indicator. Like, okay, he's going to describe what's the vibe, what's the tone of life and relationship with God like, right? Uh, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field, right? Um, that's the first one. And now here's the second one uh, that is very similar, but we're going to break these down here in a minute, and you'll, and you'll see why I think Jesus told both of them. Uh, look at verse 45. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So he tells these two little parables. And at first glance, it might be like, oh, that's, that's really cute. That's really nice. But I promise you there is something of, of real value in both of these for us to understand that will help us in moments where maybe we look in the mirror and, and we get caught in this thing that I don't think we were ever meant to stay in in this. So uh, l let's look at these. Uh, let, let me read the first one to you again. We're going to look at it first. So it says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So if you break it down, right, uh, in this parable, you can kind of look at like, uh, who am I in the parable? What am I supposed to relate to in all of this? And so there is this man, uh, right, that finds this treasure. And in this parable, it's like, we're the man. We're, we're the man out walking around and stumbles upon this treasure. Okay, and the treasure, what does the text say? And the treasure 
This is what the kingdom of, of God is like. So this, we key off of that. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And it's this idea, this fascinating idea that the kingdom of God is like a buried treasure, right? It is this thing of great value, right? But catch this, the effect that it has when you see it, when you understand it is what? Joy, this guy sees it, right? And it's like great joy. Like this is like, wow, this is like a wonderful thing. Now, let me ask you this. How many times do people think of church or religion as like, oh, great joy, right? Most of them are like, ah, if I gotta go. It's just like, it's okay. I'm gonna say, but then you're not understanding it correctly. This is, there's something about life with God that has this natural way of bringing something of joy in and through our lives. And what's more, Think about this man. This is not a parable of a man being saved from anything, right? Now, Jesus will tell other parables, other teaching, where we clearly get this idea that there's something that we need to be saved from, right? Very important. But here, this is not the point of this parable, right? This man, is uh, there was a hungry man, and he was about ready to die of hunger and thirst. And to his surprise, he finds a treasure, and he can buy food now. Nope. This man, in fact, here's how well this man is doing. He's got enough money, right? He's got enough possessions that he can sell it and buy this property. And in the first century, anyone who had enough possessions or whatever to be able to go out and buy property, you were doing really well for the, over the vast majority of people. This person's not poor. This person is not in need. This person's not walking along feeling great need. He's not like, you know, dying in shame and sin. And he's just, he's just going along. And the point he's making here is the kingdom of heaven holds something so beautiful, so rich. You, you like, you don't need something to overcome. You don't need something to be saved from. To desire this, it holds something intrinsic to itself that even if you're doing just fine, you would still want to sell everything you have to have this. That's a different kind of picture, isn't it, than what we normally have. This is a kind of picture of saying, I want to be saved to something. I, I'm I, like, I, like, get me to that. See, there's this idea that we see a beautiful picture in scripture of what we're being saved from. But Jesus says, but I want you to catch what you're being saved to as well, right? You friends are also meant to be saved to something. And, and here's what I want to say about this. S simple point of application on this is this. Seek after that treasure own it, right? The man buys, he owns the property that holds this treasure. There is something for you to own in your relationship uh, with God, something that, that God is doing in you, um, you know? And I think about this. Think, think about what God does for you in your life and as you have life and relationship with God. And, and I mean this, like, think about this for a moment. Like, what are some of those things you look back and you go, oh my gosh, 
I, I treasure this. This is something I've gained out of being in life and relationship with God. Maybe it's a sense of, of peace. Maybe, uh, maybe it's, it's like joy itself. Maybe it's being able to navigate certain things in life and just saying, you know, I see how God has brought greater patience in my life. And you know what? Being able to be patient through these things, that is worth so much to me. Maybe it's a sense of purpose. You know, as human beings, it's not enough to just be saved from something. It's not enough to just have a life that just feeds us. Like, like that'll satisfy you for a while. But research study after research study after research study is just is shown that as human beings, if we don't have a sense of purpose in this life, our souls start to shrivel up. That, it doesn't do good things in us. And being a part of God's kingdom and life and relationship, there's something about we find a deeper sense of purpose, something where we have gifts, right? Every one of you has a spiritual gift, Scripture would say. God has given you purpose, right? This is a part of his kingdom, life and relationship with him that, that pulls us forward in this. I think about my own life in this, and I was just I was thinking about this yesterday a bunch. I just thought, man, it is, it, like, it, it's through being in a relationship with God that I've got these other relationships. I have this small group that I've been a part of. Angie and I have been a part of, the, <clears throat> excuse me, this small group for decades now. And that is so valuable to me. That group of people and how we have grown relationally, their support, their encouragement, the vulnerability, it's just like, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. This is so good and rich. I think about uh, just... Uh, simple gifts, joy and laughter. I think about that purpose thing and how in my relationship with God, how it has grown a sense of purpose. And like, for instance, uh, next Sunday, and don't take this personal or anything, but I'm gonna be really happy that I'm not here with you next Sunday, okay? <laughs> but here's why, here's why. Because I'm gonna go on this trip with our high schoolers and our middle schoolers. And I can't wait. I can't wait because I know there's a sense of purpose that I have to coach them, to lead them, to pastor them, to be there for them. But even more than that, I can't wait to go on that trip because I'm gonna get to watch them gain a sense of purpose, right? To watch high schoolers give up a, a weekend, a long weekend of their own vacation. I mean, think about this. Teenagers giving up vacation time. No Xbox, no PlayStation, no movies. Like, they're gonna go down and do manual labor. And they're gonna love it. They're gonna be enriched by it. They're, gonna, they're going to gain a sense of purpose like they've never seen. They're gonna watch how God's gonna use them to bless people. Like they're gonna, they're gonna get to see a part of the world that many of them never seen before. And when they understand that there's a family that does not have a house that will have a house because of what they're giving away, that's priceless. Like that's, right? As parents, you do anything to have your teenager have that, right? I know, because you're sending them, you're paying for it. We're like, because that's the treasure. And see, all of a sudden, when you can begin to see that God is pulling me into things that are more than just like, oh man, you're just some sorry sinner that I saved, but that there's something rich and beautiful that is treasure-like, 
then all of a sudden, like there's this beautiful thing that begins to happen uh, in your life. Um, but I know this, right? I know this, that embracing that can be really difficult, right? Because it gets back to this thing. Without embracing what you're saved to, you'll just be defined by what you're saved from. But sometimes it can be a struggle to really embrace that thing that we're saved to. Sometimes we can look at that and we can go, okay, Glenn, great, yeah. But purpose and joy and laughter and deep relationships and growth and all that. Yeah, that's great, but you don't understand. And you have this image of you as this, you know, the sorry little sinner that's saved. And it's just like, yeah, that's for other people. That's for other Christians who are really good at it. You know, they, they've got their sin under control or something. And it's just like... So how do you embrace that if you're struggling with embracing that? And that's where I think this second parable comes into play that becomes so important. So uh, look at the next verse. Look at verse 34, because he does something really cool here. Um, uh, let, me, let me read it, and then, then we'll unpack it a little. It says this, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And at first glance, you go, well, it's just like the first one, right? It's just like, okay, right? The kingdom of God is really, really valuable. It's so valuable, you'd sell everything that you'd have for it. And uh, we were sitting in our preacher meeting uh, this past Tuesday because uh, all the messages we do, like we work on these together. All the preachers uh, kind of uh, come in and work on these together and we're going over this thing. And it was actually Seth who pointed out something. He goes, no, there's something that's flipped here that's very different in this. And we didn't even, and even the commentaries didn't hardly pick this up. In fact, when he first brought it up, we we're like, oh my gosh, are you sure? And, just, and we actually looked back into the Greek and looked at it. And sure enough, there is this super key difference that is just sitting there right in front of us. And, and here's the difference, right? Let's go back to the first one. The first one, the kingdom of heaven is like the buried treasure, isn't it? It is like the thing of great, immense value. And who are we in that story? We're like the person who finds the treasure. But Jesus does the coolest thing with this one. He flips it. Look back at the passage. He says, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. The merchant who's looking for a pearl that is precious, that is of great value. Like he's, he's this is God. God and in his family, his vibe, this is what he's like. He's longing for that thing of great value. And who is the pearl in this story? You are. I am. Do you see what Jesus did in this? It's like the kingdom of heaven, right? In the first one, it's so valuable. And he's saying to you and me, do anything you can to get it because it'll change your life. It's just, it doesn't just save you from something. It turns you into something beautiful, something wonderful. It gives richness to your life. Go for it for that reason. And then we get to this one and he's not saying the same thing there, right? Because what if we're sitting there and we're going, yeah, man, the treasure's great, but you know, I don't, I'm, man, I'm looking in the mirror. You, you, you couldn't possibly want treasure for me, God. And he goes, yeah, let me flip this around. And he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like me going out and I am searching for that treasure. I'm searching for that pearl. And when I see you, I see something of such great value, something that is so precious, so wonderful. What? 
I'll sell a little bit of what I have to try and get you. <laughs> Sells everything he has to have life in relationship with you. I'd like, it's hard to believe except for it's in the Bible. <laughs> and is that not the most beautiful description of what Jesus Christ did? That God in human flesh looks at us and says, I'm looking for something valuable, and you're it. And I'll give everything. I'll give my life to have you. And here's why this is so important, because sometimes if we can't embrace that, it's hard to embrace that treasure that we all seek in there, right? Uh, because in, in a way, like, like, this is what messes us up. We don't get the beauty and the power of what this parable is about. You know, uh, I go back to when I was a kid, and, you know, I told uh, my dad, you know, Dad, I did it. I confess, you know. Oh, what a wonderful moment being saved from, right? This whole big clump of ball of lies and misbehavior and all that stuff. Oh, it's wonderful, right? But then... Like that cloud set in, and it's just like, oh man, like it's just look in the mirror, and I'm still that kid. I still did all of that stuff. That's still the truth of me. That's just, and without realizing it, I slowly started defining myself as that kid. But you know, something really interesting happened to me that actually pulled me out of that and pulled me into something so much better and so much richer. And it was actually something my dad said to me in the truck when we were driving down Silver Bell Road that just, it didn't, it didn't land in my heart when he first said it. Like I heard him say the word. In fact, it's one of the only things that I remember precisely about what he said that day when I, when I told him what I had done. Um, and it wasn't until probably weeks or months later that it really hit me what he had said to me. And here's what he said to me. Okay, and you're going to laugh at, at first, but I'll unpack it. Okay, here's what he said to me. I'm telling him, Dad, it, I did it. You know, all and he, and and he goes, Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> I knew the whole time there was no intruder, and you were lying about it. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, right? But here's the thing. And at first, I was just like, Okay, he knew about it the whole time. But man, I feel better because I finally confessed it. Right. But here's what happened. Here's why those words ended up becoming so powerful to me later. Because I had this story about me, right? And my story was, but I still, I lied about it. I still, it's still the truth of me. That's just, and you know what? I took my story about the sorry little sinner, forgiven now. My dad forgave me, but I'm still a sorry little sinner. I'm just a sorry little sinner that's forgiven now, right? I tried to make that story my dad's story. That's how my dad's got to look at me, right? Because, and you know, all that time, I've, I, you know, my dad, I love my dad. My, I, man, I have a great dad. My dad encouraged me. He believed in me. He had pride in me. And there's a part of me that wanted to say, well, you know, as long as he didn't know the truth, oh man, he was proud of me. He encouraged me. He encouraged me in sports. He believed in me. He cheered me on. He thought I was a great kid. I thrived off of that. But now that he knows this truth, how bad this was. Eh, there's probably some part of him that doesn't quite believe that as much, right? That was my story that I kept thinking was my dad's story. 
until I started thinking about what he said. But if he knew all the time, all of a sudden I, I couldn't get it to match in my brain. If, if, he, if he's known for the last few years that I lied about it, why was he so good to me, right? If, if he knew that, like, why, like I, I experienced him in this encouraging and believing in me and loving and just like, I like it. And just all of a sudden it just didn't add up. And all of a sudden, then it's like, oh my gosh, it just, it actually didn't matter. He still saw me the same way. And that's what this parable is about, right? In those moments where we want to look in the mirror and say, yep, I'm a sinner. I'm a dirty little sinner. I'm just saved now right? What he's saying here is like, and think about this, before he finds you, he's looking for something of great value. Before he buys the field, he sees you of great value. Here's, right, sometimes I think we tell ourselves this story, right? Like, um, like you know, I was, I was like that, that guy that Paul was talking about in Romans, you know, I, because of my sin, you know, I was far from the glory of God. And I just, and back then I was worth nothing. I wasn't worthy of anything. God probably hardly even noticed me, right? But then I prayed and I I received Christ and then I became valuable. No, no. Right? That merchant sees the pearl and goes, that thing is of great value. He hasn't bought the land yet. It's not his pearl yet. He sees the pearl as it is and goes, just the way it is. It is worth me selling everything to have it. That's you. That's you. See, sometimes we want to hold on to a story that is us defining ourselves by our failures, our sin, our secret, our masks, our rebellion. But that's our story, friends. Not God's story. And sometimes as Christians, we struggle with that. And the more we struggle with it, the more we get judgy with ourselves. And then we become judgy with others and we start making everything about trying to overcome all this. It's just like... And there's a part of that that we need to deal with in our lives. But it should never define us. And if you find it defining you, you can hold on to that story. But make, mo make no mistake about it. That's not God's story about you. So, embrace, right, and here's the application on this last point. Embrace God's story about you. Give up your story and embrace his story. And as you begin to embrace his story, it doesn't mean that you weren't a sinner before. It's just you see yourself in a whole new way that allows you to step into a kingdom, a life and relationship with God where the transformation is rich, right? Where the security is unlike anything that this world has to offer where the joy is rich. Like, like it just, there's a kind of life and relationship that is so precious. And I don't want to end this uh, sermon without doing one thing here, right? So if you're a follower of Christ, I want right now, just challenge you. Go after, get that treasure, own it, and live off of God's story, not your story. But if you're here this morning, and you've never trusted Christ with your life. I just, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just like, man, I've, oh gosh, this invitation stuff. And I've heard a zillion of these. And it's always about like how bad you are and, you know, and they guilt you into this thing. You know, um, 
if I never guilt or scare another person into heaven for as long as I live, I'll be really good with that. Because I don't, I don't think, I just, I don't like the idea of someone chasing after God out of great fear of punishment or out of like, because there is something so beautiful and rich about life with God that is motivation enough. And if you've never even thought about what it would be to become a follower of God, because he just thinks the world of you and wants to do even greater things in your life, that's all the reason in the world you need to become a follower of Christ. I really mean that. That's the heart of Jesus. That's how he talked about this. And I want to invite you to do that. And here's how I'm going to do this. And there's, there's no magic formula to this. There's not like some, you know, you know there's, 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 it's really easy. It's just trusting him. And you can do it through a prayer. Uh, you don't have to, but a prayer is an easy way to do it. And I'm going to just pray through a prayer that's just one of trusting Christ with your life to live in his kingdom. And I'm going to just pray like one little phrase at a time. And if you want to pray it with me and just pray like one phrase after mine, you go right ahead and do that. But I'm going to... Um, I'm gonna pray through that prayer and then afterward, I'm gonna close this out. So why don't we all just bow our heads just for a second here. And if you, if you wanna take that step right now, you just pray this prayer after me, okay? Let's bow our heads. Uh, dear God, I come before you right now uh, with the good and the bad of who I am. But I come longing for the good of who you are and trusting that whatever I need to be saved from, that you'll save me from that, no matter how much I do or don't understand it. But I also ask you to save me too. To save me to life and relationship with you. That you'd be my savior, not just over what I've done wrong, that you'd be my savior over my whole life and what I need most. I trust you. Amen. Amen. You look up here. Um, so let me just say this. If you prayed that prayer with me, or maybe you didn't, but you've got questions about it, I, I sincerely with all my heart invite you. Um, I'm going to be right over here next near that table that you see over there in the alcove. Come find me. If you prayed that, man, I would love to just encourage you, give you a hug or a handshake or a fist bump or, or anything I can get, all right? <laughs> um, and answer any questions you have about it. And if you aren't comfortable with that, I want to invite you. We've got some wonderful people in our prayer place, and I encourage you to go share what you just prayed with them or ask them questions. Or maybe uh, you came, maybe someone invited you or you just showed up on your own. Tell them about it. Like, there's something just really beautiful. And just keep dialogue going about that is just so good and so healthy because you've started something new. It's like you just, you just found the most amazing treasure that's yours now, right? So come and do that. And if you want someone to just pray for you about anything that you're going through life, I invite you to come and uh, talk with someone uh, right over here. Why don't you stand? And, um, and as you're standing, I'm gonna close this with just a quick uh, blessing, but just to say, and to all of you who are guests this morning, so, so glad to have you. Um, come back again, because you are always, always welcome here. May God just shine his face upon you and fill you with the riches and beauty of his kingdom. 
Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you soon.